Good morning. How's everybody doing? Hi, good morning. Good to see everybody. If you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Good morning. We're going to look at the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1. Trying to catch everybody this morning. Morning. How are you guys doing? Me too. Acts chapter 1. You know, we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, the unfinished business that Jesus had. How that whenever he um, went to the cross, that his lead disciple that night had denied him three times. Whenever Jesus had told him the rooster's going to crow, And at that point, for the third time, you will have denied me. And their eyes locked together. And he said, Peter went out and wept bitterly. And Jesus had unfinished business to take care of. He had to come back and he had to let him know he'd been forgiven. That you're going to be the rock that I know you can be. And so today, we're going to talk a little bit more about some unfinished business. But it's unfinished business that we as the body of Christ, have to take care of. It says that he talked with them for the next 40 days about the things that pertain to the kingdom of God, about the things that you and I need to be aware of. He appeared to Peter and six others that morning with the breakfast on the beach. He began teaching them the men who were on the road to Emmaus about everything concerning him that started with Moses and the prophets and went all the way up to this time. So now Jesus had met with them on the mountain in Galilee where he told them in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20, that he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And then he gave us this promise, Surely I am with you to the end of the age. Jesus reiterated that same message. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, where he told them to go into all the world, preach the gospel. To every creature. He that will believe and be baptized shall be saved. But he that will not accept this message shall be condemned. So Jesus then not only had unfinished business. But he left us with some as well didn't he? Go into all the world. Teach the gospel to every creature. We know that as the great commission. And it's almost like that old TV show. Mission Impossible. You remember that? I remember that as I was growing up as a, as a youngster. And that is our mission. The Great Commission. Go teach everyone. Make disciples. Everyone that you come in contact with. Teach them about me. To be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be with you always. Even unto the end of the age. And not only that, I'm going to give you a promise too that's going to help you in this mission. It says, don't worry, I'm going to be with you always. 
One thing different though about our commission and our message that's different from Mission Impossible is that our message doesn't self-destruct in five seconds. Our message is the Word of God that lives and abides forever. And if you think about that forever, the Word of God is going to be with us in that heavenly realm as well when this age is over. It is the one thing that's going to live and abide forever with us. And so, we have a challenge to make disciples. Let us be reminded that we are now the ones that have unfinished work to do. We've got business that needs to be taken care of. But our mission, our hope, because we have a helper in this, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, our mission is not mission impossible, but it's mission possible. Because the promised Holy Spirit of God has also been left with us to help us in this. And before we begin to read Acts chapter 1, if you're there, let's bow for a word of prayer as we break the bread of life. Father, thank you for this beautiful day. After the rain that you have given us all week, you have now presented sunshine. And Father, it looks beautiful. And as I was out this morning, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. It was beautiful blue. And we thank you, Father, for the blessings of this day. But we thank you for the blessings through Jesus Christ that you give us the hope of eternal life. And Father, you left with us your word, which is your power unto salvation. And we pray, Father, that as we break your bread of life this morning, that you will open our minds to see, our ears to hear. Allow us to understand this word, Father, and apply it to our life. May we be challenged by it. May the Holy Spirit be with us this morning so that we can understand and discern. And may you be glorified in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts. Chapter 1, let's begin in verse 1. The former book, Theophilus, that I wrote about all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. And after his suffering, he presented himself to them. And gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Praise God. And he appeared to them over the next 40 days. And he taught to them the things concerning the kingdom of God. And on one occasion while he was eating with them. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift that my father has promised. And which you have also heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. And they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom back to Israel? And he said unto them, it's not for us to know the times or the dates that the Father has set for these things by his own authority. But you, what's important to you? You're going to receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you are going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all of Judea. And Samaria. And into the ends of the earth. And he said this. And then he was taken up. Before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him 
from their side as he was taken up into heaven. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men appeared unto them beside them in white apparel. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Because this same Jesus that you've just seen go up into heaven is going to one day also return just as you have seen him go to heaven. Wow, isn't that amazing? Wouldn't you have liked to have been there to have saw that ascension of Jesus up into heaven and the clouds receive him and the angels give you a promise, a promise that is going to be fulfilled when he said he's going to come back in the same way that you've seen him go. The book of Acts is the written history of the church before they had the full canon of Scripture. Before all of the books from Matthew to Revelation had been fulfilled, here's a history of what was going on. And we find that in Acts. And it contains many doctrinal truths that are just as important today as they were back then, 2,000 years ago when it happened. Luke is the writer of this book. He wrote it somewhere around 61 to 63 A.D. when he penned this. This is the same time that Paul was writing his epistles that he wrote while he was in prison, called the Pauline Prison Epistles. This is the same time that this was going on, that the book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke was written. And it seems that both of them was written, that Luke wrote, to a man called Theophilus. He's introduced in both books. Now, we know a little bit about this man just by what Luke barely writes in two sentences in the Gospel of Luke and also in Acts here. One of the things that we know is his name. It's a compound word. Theophilus is made of Theo and Philus. We've had both of those. Theo means God. Theology is the study about God. And Philus, you remember a couple of weeks ago when Jesus had that conversation with Peter on the beach and he is asking him, do you love me? And Peter replied back, Lord, you know that I love you. That was the word phileo, the, the love that is a brotherly love, an intimate kindred love. So Theophilus means the lover or the friend of God. So we know a little bit about this man just by his name. Luke starts his gospel like this. I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Did you know that most excellent is a title? Most excellent means it refers to equestrian realm. It was a title given to those who were Roman knights. Most excellent Theophilus, he was an honorable, noble highly decorated man of the military who was now a leader and commander in the Roman Knights. It's a title given to those of courage and strength and nobility and has demonstrated their work through what they did. And these men were also very wealthy. Minimum wealth accumulated at this point was probably in the $10 million range and it could be anywhere up to $100 million for Rome had a capitalistic system that was greater than even ours. And under that system, there was many wealthy people. And it seems that Theophilus was one of those. And so, with this title, 
And with this wealth, we're introduced to him as an acquaintance to Luke, and Luke is writing to him. And it seems that he is not only a decorated warrior and highly thought of, but he's also a Christian. He is a man of God. And it appears that we've been talking about on Wednesdays the last couple of weeks about our spiritual gifts and about the Holy Spirit. And it seems that this man probably had the gift of helps, the gift of helping get the word out of God. Because with the gospel of Luke and with the book of Acts addressed to him in the beginning, that was a common thing that would happen to someone who was your patron, the one who was helping you do the endeavor that you're doing in writing these books. If you look at books today in novels or if you pick up a book by one of the people who explains the Gospels or puts out a commentary and you turn through the first couple of pages that you normally skip through, you will see that it will say a thank you to those who helped make this writing possible. I want to thank my wife or my friend or this person without whose help this book would not be possible. That's what Luke is doing in the introduction. Because it went on in that time period and it's carried on into now. So here is the man who helped make the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts possible. With his help he played a major role. Because at that time we didn't have copy machines where I can type out my lesson and hit print. And print off as many copies as I wanted. You had to hire scribes. And these scribes would have to buy the papyrus and they would have to sit down and personally spend their days writing and copying the message. And they would make sure that not one letter, not one jot, not one tittle was changed in what they did. And they sat down and wrote these over and over again so that these manuscripts could be distributed to all of the places that Paul and Luke have went to and have wrote about, and all of the churches would get it. And yes, Theophilus, it appears, financed all of this work to help distribute the gospel so that you and I, 2,000 years later, can be sitting here this morning studying the gospel of Acts. And he says in verse 1 of our text, if you're there, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So what Jesus began to do in his ministry started in the book of Luke, in his gospel, and it is continued here. This is a sequel. This is volume two of what it was. And it says all that he began both to do and then to teach. That's opposite of what I grew up with because I had a stepfather who would tell me, don't do as I do, but do what I tell you to do. Do as I say. You know, it might, you guys had the same thing? You know, don't do what I'm doing. You do what I tell you to do, boy. And so the opposite was Jesus. He began to do first and then to teach because he had to prove himself to get his message across. He had to have people involved with him and call their attention to it. His walk of life, the miracles that he did, those things that he began to do, and then he was able to teach them and to learn about the fruits of the Spirit that you're going to bear. And in verse 2 is the transitional verse that's now taking us into the beginning of the church age, from the gospel and the ministry of Christ into our unfinished business 
And it says in verse 2 that he taught them until the day that he was taken up into heaven. He gave them instructions through the Holy Spirit, it says there, to the apostles that he had chosen. So the book of Acts is going to introduce us to the church that Jesus died for. And it's going to direct us on our commission. Not mission impossible, but mission possible. To teach every creature so that they will believe and be baptized. And then verse 3, if you're there in the text, talks about that after his suffering, after his death upon the cross, the glorious resurrection, his defeat of sin and of death, that it says he presented himself and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of the next 40 days, teaching them everything about the kingdom of God. Verse 4 goes on to say that one occasion he was talking with them and he gave them this command that they were to stay in Jerusalem, that they weren't to leave because you need to wait for the gift that my Father is going to give to you, the gift of the Holy Spirit that we have talked about. You have heard me because John baptized with water, but I am going to baptize you not many days from now with this Spirit. So wait here in Jerusalem. Don't leave. Listen to what I've said because the church is going to start right here. And this is the commission that we're getting ready to have of the unfinished business. And this message is for all of us. So we need help in accomplishing our task of taking this message about Christ to all of the world. And this gift that is given to us then is our tool, our helper so that we can accomplish this task. He is our advocate. He is our comforter. He is the one that's going to make known all things to us and help us to understand the Word of God, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It also says that He dwells and lives within us. Verse 8 explains to us, then, of our text, why we need this Holy Spirit. It says, You will receive power through Him. When the Holy Spirit comes on you so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and into all of the world. And you know, he's given us to be the power to tell others. The power to witness for Christ. The word there for power is dunamos. It's dynamite. It's what blows away the obstacles that stand there. He's the one who has moved men and inspired them to write the word of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says, Knowing this, first thing, that no prophecy of the scripture has ever been of any private interpretation by any person. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the prophets spoke from God. The word that he wanted communicated. It was carried or moved along. Or inspired and brought to us. By the Holy Spirit of God. Paul told Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3.16. That all scripture has been given by the inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine. For reproof. For correction. For instruction in righteousness that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly furnished into all good works. That's why we have him. 
That's what he taught. He inspired those things. So that is the first line of power in witnessing for Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say in his letter in Romans in chapter 1 and verse 16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who will hear, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we receive power from the word of God as it is written to carry on the great commission and he is within us to help us understand it and dispense it to everyone and guide us in giving it. Jesus told the disciples then in John 14 before he was getting ready to go to the cross and that trials that night, he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit. He will be there to help you. He will be with you for how long? Forever. You will know him. How will you know him? Because he lives with you. And he will be in you. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send to you in my name. Will teach you all things. And remind you of everything that I have said to you. So this is our helper. This is our advocate. This is our comforter in everything that we do in this life. And these were promises of Jesus to the disciples. And it's a promise to us as well in our mission possible that we are undertaking. It says that he will be with us until the end of the age. Until he comes back and makes all of his enemies his footstool. We are in the middle of studying all of this on Wednesday night. 12 through 14 tells about all these gifts. And we've already covered the first two. And this week we'll be in chapter 14. It's talking about these gifts. And I encourage you to be with us. So that we can learn how to evangelize Perrigan and the world around us. For he has given us these tools and these helps to be able to equip us in our mission of accomplishing this task. The Spirit was imparted and filled some of them in the Old Testament. But he didn't have a role in the Old Testament like we have him for us today. They never had the gift of the indwelling like what we have today. He was never given as a seal of salvation to them like us. And indwelling. If you will look, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit could not happen at that time until after the cross, till after the resurrection, until Jesus was seated at the right hand of God in glory. For it says in John chapter 7, Jesus told him, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom these who had believed in him were later to receive. See, they didn't even have it yet. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So this tool, this helper, this advocate that we have that lives with us and in us was not given until after this time. He would be there to help. He came upon some of them as Samson as we saw uh, last week. But he never indwelled them to the point that he does like for us today. The Holy Spirit in John, 1 John 4, 4, it says, Ye are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
And I like that scripture. Because that tells me as long as I am walking in the light. As he is in the light. And I have fellowship one with one another. It says that we are in that presence and filled with that. We have greater as he that is in you. Than he that is in the world. You can't battle the world. You can't battle the evils and the things that are going on there. Without this. Because that is greater than you without God. And without the Holy Spirit. But when you have that within you, greater is he that is in you to help you to battle these things. So in verse 4 of our text there back in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. In the next few days you will be given this promise of the Spirit. He will be the one throughout the church age who is going to be able to empower you to be my witnesses to Jerusalem. That would be like Perigon to us. To all of Judea. That's all of our surrounding places. <clears throat> that would be the Morgantowns, the Martinsvilles, the Gosports, the Spencers, the Cloverdales. And then he says unto Samaria, that would be branching out to our Bloomingtons and our Indianapolis. And then he will give us the ability, if we will trust in him to do it, to take this message throughout all the world. And today with our internet age, we can do just that. We can take the message of Christ and put it out there and you don't know who it will touch throughout this entire world. We can accomplish, folks, mission possible. And after this charge, it says, beginning in verse 9, that Jesus was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hit him from their sight. And as they were looking up into the sky intently, it says that there was two men who came to them in white apparel and said, Why are you looking up there, ye men of Galilee? Why are you gazing in the sky? This same Jesus is going to return again one day, just as you have seen him go. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about that, that he's going to return one day just the same way that he went. Well, how did he go? Did you realize that Jesus was an astronaut? It says that he took liftoff right there from the Mount of Olives and went straight up through the clouds. And we're told in the next chapter, in Acts chapter 2, that he is seated at the right hand of God in the third heavens. So do you realize that he, in that resurrected body, became an astronaut and lifted off straight up into that? In the next chapter, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2 if you would. In verse 32, it says there, that Peter told the people that was gathered together on the day of Pentecost that God has raised this Jesus to life. We are all witnesses of it. And now he is exalted to the right hand of God. So he is there. The Bible brings out some very interesting facts then that's kind of entertaining to our minds as well if you think about it. So what I want you to do is relax for a moment and imagine with me. You know, we've really been intense in our study of the Jesus story and the Word of God and the crucifixion and all of the things that has happened, the unfinished business. But I want you to relax for a moment. And I want you to let your minds wander onto the things about this resurrection body that Jesus had for a minute. For it was the humanity of Christ that went up and rose. It was the humanity of Christ that had a resurrection body. Why did Christ have to come as a human why did God 
in making that sacrifice, did you realize that God is eternal, so he can't die, can he? So he could not die as God for our sins. God is everywhere in his spiritual form, so he couldn't be relegated to one place on the cross. So Jesus had to come as God in flesh and tabernacle among us, being born of a virgin, and to be raised up in a human form, God and man. John chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved us that he gave his monogenes, his only one of a kind, the Son who is God and man, who could then die for sins and be relegated to that place upon the cross. So, being in that human body and crucified, he has set a pattern for us. He was the first fruits of those who was raised up. His soul, after the crucifixion, spent three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But then, the question that has to be asked is, if he's the pattern and the first fruits, what about us? What does that mean for you and I? Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21 says this. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be just like his glorious body. Did you ever think about that? Those of us who are in Christ Jesus is going to have this fleshly, earthly, decaying body transformed into a body that is glorious and just like his. Well, what's all that mean then? Well, let's look at a few things that the Bible tells us about this body that you and I are going to receive one day. 1 Corinthians 15, hint, hint, in a week and a half, we will be there, studying this very thing. I'm only going to touch on it for a minute today. Our body, it says, there is going to be raised imperishable. It perishes in the state that it is now, but we will raise into a resurrection body that is imperishable. It says it will be raised in power. It will be raised in glory. It will be spiritual in nature. It's going to change that fast. It says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and somebody has tried to capture on camera in time that a twinkling of an eye is one-seventieth of a second. I think it might even be faster than that. In the twinkling of an eye, our bodies will be changed and transformed into that glorious body when the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and go to meet him in the air just as he has came. We will be raised imperishable, immortal. Death and decay has lost its sting upon us and we have now gained the victory. Now some things about Jesus as he had that resurrected body and appeared for those 40 days to them. He was able to walk and talk, wasn't he? He was able to breathe, to speak, to eat, to do things. So on the road to Emmaus, he walked he talked, he taught, he remembered things. It could be touched, his resurrected body, because he told Mary in the garden, don't cling to me, I have not yet went to my father. He told doubting Thomas to go ahead and reach your fingers in here and touch the scars that I have. Oh, so the body retained its scars, didn't it? I don't know if ours will or not, but I know his did. Our body is going to have the molecular structure change so that it will never be destroyed even in things like the destruction of the earth and atomic meltdowns. It says that that body will not be destroyed. How about that it can 
change forms to appear and reappear. It can go through solid objects of this world, can't it? Because you remember that after the resurrection, the disciples were afraid of what was going to happen and they all gathered in a house and they had the door shut and the windows shut and everything locked. And it says in a moment, Jesus wasn't there. And then the next moment, he appeared inside that room to where they were. So that body could go right through there and and appear. He says, we're going to have a glorious resurrected body just like his. So these are just some food for thought on maybe possibly what we'll be able to do. And what about that liftoff from the Mount of Olives when he was taken up into the heavenly realm? What about us? Yeah, I think that we're going to be able to also not only move horizontally like we do in walking, but vertically as well. Because, you know, not only did Jesus do that, but angels and demons do that as well, don't they? The angels are sent from God down to us. The devil, if you look in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2, he was able to be here walking to and fro on the earth, and then God calls a convention up there, and he is raised, he flies up there, and it says, where have you been? And he said, walking to and fro among the earth that is mine. Chapter 1, he then goes on to say about my servant Job, Well, he wants to persecute him, so he leaves that convention, comes back down to earth, takes out Job's children and animals and different things. And then it says, chapter 2 of Job, that God again calls a meeting, a convention in heavenly realm. And the devil was there also, and he asked him, Where have you been? I have been walking to and fro in the earth that is now my domain. So, back and forth between the earth and the heavenly realm, right? How quickly? Do you realize how far that is? It says that Jesus went to the throne in a matter of probably seconds to minutes because Acts 1, he was there and he was lifted up. And then by Acts chapter 2, Peter is saying he is at the right hand of God and has been glorified. So, I thought, how far, how fast Job, in his book, chapter 1 and chapter 2, Satan was able to do the same thing within those two chapters from the heavenly realm to here. How far away is that? So I googled, how, how big is our known universe? And it came back with the answer of 93 billion light years. Do you know light moves at 186,000 miles a second? So for it to be 93 billion light years across, that's unfathomable. So I started doing the math, taking seconds into hours and then into years. And the answer that I came up with on how many miles it would be across our known universe it came out to 545 to the 23rd power. In other words, 23 other numbers behind that. I don't even know what you would call that. A gazillion? I don't know. But that's how far just the known universe is across. That's not even up to the third heaven. That's how fast that spiritual body traveled in just a matter of seconds or minutes. I got to thinking about all of those miles. If I went out and bought a new truck, 
You think GM or Ford or, or Dodge would give me a, a warranty for that many miles? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Because that's a lot. That's a gazillion, you know. But I say all of this for a purpose. And the purpose is, we're going to be like that. That body then, traveling through all of that time and space, at those speeds can resist intense heat from the sun. It can, the intense coldness of space doesn't affect it. The wind speed, our speed, the G-forces has no effect upon that resurrected body that we're going to have. And not only that, but I bring it out so that we can maybe get a glimpse of just how big the God that you and I serve is. Look at how big he is. In Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4, it says, When I look at the heavens, that 93 billion light years across that we even know about, that they are the work of your fingers. The moon and the stars that you set in place by those fingers. What is man? What am I that you are mindful of me? Why do you even care about me if you're this big and you're this powerful and you have all that? But you know he does. He cares about us. The heavens are the works of the fingers of God. He holds it all in the palm of his hands. But you know what? Those same fingers... And hands of God is encircled around each and every one of us who is a child of God. If you look in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, Jesus promised us this. My sheep listen to my voice, and they follow me, and I give to them eternal life. They shall never perish, and no one will ever be able to snatch them from my hands. And my Father, who has also given them to me, is greater than all. And no one can snatch them from my Father's hand either. Those hands that are bigger than the universe, that the fingers set all of that in place, has each and every one of us in the palm of that hand. And when it talks about it's in my hand and my Father's, I wonder if that's not a handshake and a clasp that has you and I right there in that palm, and it says, I give unto you eternal life, that follow me and listen to me, and no one can ever snatch you from the hands of God. Isn't that reassuring? Doesn't that help you have confidence in this world that we live in, that you, there is no force that can take you and remove you from the hands of God? It's incredible to me. Now, if you're still in Acts chapter 2, as the worship team makes their way on on back up. In Acts chapter 2, Peter said that this same Jesus, down in verse 24, that you have crucified, that God has now made both to be Lord and Christ. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Praise God. That's our promise too. He's the first fruits of what we will be. God promised David that there would be someone that will always sit upon your throne. And this is the Jesus is the one. And he has now raised him to life in verse 32. We are witnesses of it. He is exalted to the right hand of God. And he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. That is what you now see and hear. 
And then he gave us this promise in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus that you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is the Messiah that was promised. And when the people heard this, it says that they were pricked in their heart. And they said, Men, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you're going to receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The same thing that was promised when we started this back in Acts chapter 1. You will be given that gift also that seals you for a resurrected life. And also gives you now the power to be able to share my message with others just as it was shared with you. And oh son. I used to watch Roland Martin fishing and that would be his favorite expression. Oh son. You know when he'd set the hook on a big one. I'm telling you, oh son, isn't that a promise? That we have that gift. Look at verse 41. It says that those who accepted his message and were baptized were added that day to the church, 3,000 souls. That's great news. That's a great big number. But you know what? Today, I don't think God's worried about those 3,000 souls. That was an example He's worried about the one soul that might be here that has not accepted that message and became his child that has followed through with this. So I would encourage you that if you are here, if you are not a child of God, if you have not made that decision to accept this, I pray that you do. It's the greatest decision that you can ever make in your life. It's the only one that has eternal consequences. And I pray that you will examine your heart today as we close out in prayer and then sing this song. Father, thank you for this great example of your Holy Spirit that you are leaving with us so that we can be your witnesses throughout where we live, throughout the world. And also, Father, to know that you are a God who loves us. We can't even begin to imagine, it says, what you have prepared for us on the other side. And just to see a little bit that the Bible gives to us about a resurrected body and what we will have and what we will be just excites us. And Father, we thank you. And we pray that your spirit is moving among us this morning so that those who would be so compelled to accept your message will do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.